We're going to get into the Word this morning. Funny how God, funny how God has had a theme, even though we didn't organise the theme. So, even though we don't organise a theme, Holy Spirit, go, yeah, absolutely. We're talking about the heart today, and there's been a lot about that. Hey, been a lot about the heart. So, Lord, we want to thank you that your Spirit is speaking. Lord, we continue to ask that we would always have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. We do not want to be people with hard hearts who resist your Holy Spirit. We want to, but we want to be people who, who have soft hearts, open hearts, pliable hearts, that you would continue to have your way in us and through us and amongst us for your glory. So God, we want to thank you for your word of truth and the spirit of truth this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had I've personally had one of those weeks this week where I've been pondering a lot. Been, you know, and uh, I've been putting a few thoughts for the days. For those people who are on Facebook, I've been putting a few thoughts for the days over the past week or so. There's been a regular drip feed as I've been pondering thoughts and sitting with God because uh, it's really good because we finally um, turned Josh's room into an office. So I've actually got a home office so I can actually shut the door. Yeah, Josh has been out for a while now, isn't he? He's, um, he's really out, is he? Wow. It was about 12 months ago you moved into your house, wasn't it? About 12 months ago? Yeah. Only, and this time in two weeks' time you'll be married. I can say that really loud because Liz is not here. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry about that one. <laughs> Don't worry, she'll hit me later. It's all good. She, sometimes she comes up, she goes, good word, or good, anyway, another story. But I've been pondering lots of stuff. I've been pondering about the Word of God and, you know, because I've had people message me about stuff and, you know, there are... There are so many, you know, people and there are so many churches, unfortunately, right across the, the, the world that are departing from the Word of God. They're, you know, taking on the philosophies of man. And so many speakers are more motivational speakers rather than gospel preachers. And you see that all the time. And it's really, um, you know, so I, I guess I've been pondering that. Because, you know, the gospel life or the gospel call is a hard call. The gospel is offensive. You know, you can be a motivational speaker and you can make people feel good about themselves, but the reality is that the message of the gospel is offensive because it means you have to die. As Christ died for us, the the message or the response to the message of the gospel is that we would die. And so that's offensive because people want my rights and my, you know, me, 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 me. So it's offensive when you have to give that up for someone else. And in fact, I don't think that the church right across, we can say Bundaberg for a start, understands what the message of the kingdom really is. Because, you know, you hear people talking kingdom, but you don't see them living kingdom. Because kingdom, the kingdom life is a Jesus-centered life. It is not about me, myself, and I. It is about Jesus, and, it, and the overflow of that is it's about other people. 
The call of the kingdom is that you don't focus upon yourself anymore, but you focus upon Him and His kingdom and other people. It's about serving others, loving others, blessing others, encouraging others, praying for others, all that kind of stuff. It's about others, 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 others. So that's offensive to the world, isn't it? And unfortunately, it's offensive to many in the church because we haven't truly responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means we have to lay down our lives. And that's why I always think it's interesting throughout history that people like Charles Finney said that most... that uh, In one of the books that I read of Charles Finney... Hands up who's heard of Charles Finney. He was an evangelist that went all over the place, you know, and his uh, prophetic intercessors would go before him and they'd be praying. And as he'd walk into the town, he'd be preaching the gospel. In one of the books that I, I read, he said that, that two-thirds of the people that came forward for altar calls during his ministry were actually backslidden Christians. Or people that were sitting in, in the church that had never actually responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're like, woo. So we want to be a, a fellowship that continues to stand on the Word of God, amen? Because Jesus said that they didn't like me, so some of them are not going to like you either. There's an amen. Woo! I've been, in, I've been pondering about prayer and I've written stuff about that. Um, I've had visions of, you know, the home groups and the connect groups. I've had all kinds of stuff. But when you have that kind of week, you have to kind of lay it all down to say, God, what do you want to say on Sunday? You can't just automatically go with whatever you've been fit hearing during the week. It's, God, what does you want to say on Sunday? What are you saying to us as a collective group? What are you saying to us today? And as I sat with the Lord and as I began to pray about those things, He drew me to one simple verse. It is one simple verse, but it is one profound verse. It is so deep that you could meditate on it for weeks and you'd still find something. Funny, but funny that, the Word of God, isn't it? You just keep reading the same verses and you keep getting something different. And it's out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and it simply says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a big verse. What you give of yourself to, your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's... that's the word, the paraphrase of that in the terms of, let's bring it down into really simple language, what you give of yourself to, your heart will follow. That's, that's, that's why if you give, your, give of yourself to your latest car, and your latest car is your pride and joy, your heart will be in that car. And if someone puts a little nick on it in the supermarket car park, what happens? Does anyone get cranky? Okay, well, if you don't get cranky, it means that your heart is not actually in that. But if you do get cranky, it's probably a sign that it is. And I'm not saying we should just go around slamming doors. I'm not saying that. But you know what I'm trying to say? Whatever you give yourself to, your heart will be there. And that's why Jesus said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Amen? That is where we need to be. That is where our heart needs to be, seeking Him first, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness because our heart will be there. You see, the heart is critical. 
When it comes to, to Scripture, when it comes to our walk with God, the heart is critical. And when, and when Scripture talks about the heart, it's not very often that it's actually talking about the heart in terms of the one that goes boop, 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 and pumps the blub around our body. It is talking about the core of our being. When you, when you read the word heart in Scripture, it so often refers to the core of our being. That is our thoughts, our passions, our emotions. It is us. That's why Jesus said, when you seek me, you say, uh, when you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. It's not just It's the core of our being. When we seek him with all of our heart, with the core of who we are, when everything that is within us seeks the Lord, we will find him. Amen. It is the core of our being. The heart is so critical. Because that's what true worship is. Amen. It is not just singing the song on a Sunday. It's not just going through the emotions of that. But it is the very core of our being living for Him. It's our heart position. A true worshipper is one whose heart is for the Lord. Whether you're doing the dishes or whether you're playing the guitar or whether you're driving, driving your car. You know, I was thinking about that as I was reading through verses. And these are just some verses that speak about the heart and they're really confronting verses. But that's okay, isn't it? In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, The Lord said of his people, these people approach me with their speeches. Or these people approach me with their lips, with their words, to honor me. Yet their hearts are far from me. You see, there were people that were just saying the right thing, but yet there was no depth. It's really easy to say the right thing, but there's no depth. And God is looking at hearts. He's looking for depth. Not just what we say with our mouths, but what our hearts, what the core of our being is saying. Amen. He says, and then he goes on to say that their human, um, that their worship of me is made up of human rules and traditions. You see, it's always really easy just to go through the motions of something without connecting with the heart. So when someone brings a word of encouragement that, that, that people are worshipping with their hearts, that is awesome because we're not just singing the song with our mind and our thoughts because the words are on the screen, but our hearts are longing for the one to whom we sing to. Amen? Amen? Proverbs 4.23. Remember, a proverb a day keeps the enemy away. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the wellspring of life. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't open your heart to people. That means you guard what you allow in. It does not mean that you close yourself off. Because what happens is when people get hurt by someone, they tend to close off completely from everyone. But it's not, it's not guarding your heart so you're not open to people. It is guarding your heart, protecting it from what you let in. Amen. 
Do not let bitterness, do not let unforgiveness, do not let words, cuss words, things that have been spoken over you, don't let those things, don't let the effects of what someone has done to you enter into your heart. Because otherwise we all just close down. And then I was thinking about the essence of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, because the Lord says that I will give them a new heart. And I will move them to follow my decrees. That is that we don't just follow a bunch of rules on a bit of paper, but because the Spirit of God living within us is moving us to live for Jesus, is moving us to follow His ways. His grace is His empowering presence. Amen. He empowers us to live for Him because we could not do it on our own. And so we go back to Matthew 6, verse 21. And it says, Whatever you give of yourself to, your heart will follow. For, or, or for where your treasure is, your heart is also. And that's true, isn't it? It's true in marriage. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that in marriage, that we need to give of ourselves in that marriage. Because then your heart will follow. I love the Fireproof movie. And most people have watched the Fireproof movie over time. Hands up who's watched the Fireproof movie. Because here were two people that were doing life together and they just, they just separated apart and they were just doing their own thing. And then once they started doing their own thing, the enemy started to sow seeds. Started to sow seeds that started to rip them apart. But, you know, he had to make a decision. The husband had to make a decision. And he said, I am going to put, I am going to give my wife my time again. And at first he didn't want to. There was nothing in him that wanted to do that. He didn't want to make her a cup of tea because he was like, actually it was coffee, I think. He didn't want to do anything for her because his heart was not there. But he had to make a decision because our heart can be deceived. And sometimes we, we, we know what the right thing is to do. Well, we've got to make a decision. For what, what you give of yourself to, your heart will follow. So when you invest into your marriage, your heart will be there because you are investing. You are seeing your husband or your wife as a treasure rather than just an appendage. Maybe it's in your business. possessions, cars, bitterness, it's in the positive and the negative, whatever we give of ourselves to, our heart will follow. That's why if we meditate upon that person offended me or that person offended me, all of a sudden it will be offended with everybody. Because whatever we give ourselves to, that's where our heart will go. And all of a sudden we'll be like this with everybody. Hmm. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going down the garden eating worms. Short, fat, fuzzy ones, long, thin, whatever those fuzzy, fuzzy words. I don't know. That's what my mum used to teach me. Oh, anyway, was some like little rhymey thing. Yeah, okay. Some of the generation get it. Okay, good. Rightio, good. But you know what I mean? Whatever you, whatever you give yourself to, your heart will be there, whether it's a positive or a negative, whether it's good for you or whether it's not, whether it's death or whether it's life, whatever you give yourself to, your heart will be there. And that's why it's really important for us to have relationships around us that we will allow them to speak into our lives. 
We all need people that we will allow them to speak into our lives so that we do not wander off, so that we do not get deceived. We need that. I wrote a post yesterday about the heart of spiritual fathers and mothers. They're not so interested in the what, is in what you can do for me, but they're actually interested in the who. How are you going? How is your walk with Jesus going? How is your marriage going? How is this going? How is your prayer life going? That's what mums and dads are more concerned about. It's not the what, it's the who. And the problem is that the church, particularly the Pentecostal churches, you know, around, around the, the nations have been bad at this. They'll see up-and-coming, anointed, passionate young people and they'll use them and they'll abuse them and they'll wring them out and they'll spit them out and they'll get another one. Because we're not operating in spiritual mums and dads. We don't have the heart for the person. We just want what they can do for us so our ministry gets bigger. We find a young person who can prophesy and it's like, great, let's just use them. And everyone's going to go, wow, look at that person. They look, look, they're a prophesying machine. But deep down in their heart, their heart's not right. They've got stuff that's going on in their life and they're struggling with stuff. You know, I, I remember once, I won't get into the full details, but there was a, a major ministry and their son, the, the son who was part of that ministry, had faked being sick with cancer for a period of time. And everyone came out and totally smashed the son. And I was praying about it, and the Lord said to me, it's because of the culture that was set, that the son couldn't go to the father and say, Dad, I'm struggling. So his cry for help was to put that on himself. We can never be like that. We all need people in our life who we can be totally transparent with. Because when we are transparent, it gives the enemy no access. Amen? Is that okay? Uh, you're quiet, but are you just taking this in? Okay. The heart is so important. This is why Jesus spoke to the church in Revelation chapter 2. And he said, I know your good deeds. I know you've done this. I know this. I know this. I know this. I know this. But yet you've forsaken your first love. You see, he always needs our heart. He always wants our heart. And it's so easy for clutter to get in the way. Amen. And sometimes we need a bit of a shaking because it's in the shaking that the stuff that we really don't need goes, man, I've been clinging so tight to this stuff that I don't really need. It's actually taken my focus away from Jesus and I actually didn't realize. Has anyone ever had that happen to them? They've had a circumstance happen in their life and it's shaken them a bit, but, but in the shaking they've realized that, man, I wasn't following Jesus as much as I thought I did. My heart wasn't for Jesus as much as I thought it was. Anyone else? Okay, a lot of us. Amen. That's, that's good. It's good. It's, it's true. Where is our focus? If we, if we turn back to Matthew 6 and we read the verses on either side, because it's important to do that, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, Jesus is not saying you cannot have a home. He's not saying you can't drive around in a car. But if your home is your major thing, then it becomes a problem. Jesus always has to be first. 
over your business, over your house, over your family, over everything, Jesus has to be first. What the problem comes in is when you put all your resources into something that is not where Jesus is not first. He's not saying you can't have a home. In fact, in Scripture, they, you know, they, there was, they, they would help people with homes. You know, the Orthodox Jews, they would continue to help people into homes so that we weren't, so that the church was not relying upon the government and that no one would be no man's debtor. But what he is saying is that whether, when your house or your business or your possessions or a hobby is first, then there's a problem. So he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? We could just make a simple statement by saying, by living for Jesus. But it looks like when that person needs a hand, you go and give them a hand. It looks like love. It, it looks like giving of yourself to another person. Whenever you serve the Lord, you are stor- stir- uh, stirring. Storing up treasures in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's a good word to receive at the end of your life. Isn't it? You know, it reminds me in 1 Corinthians 3, where it talks about people that were saved, talks about the church, and Paul is saying, be careful how you build your life. If you build it with wood, hay, and straw, everything that you've built will, will be lost, but you yourself will be saved as one escaping through the flames. You lose your reward. Remember, salvation is not your reward. There's other things in heaven that are, that, that are your reward. So you do not lose your salvation, but you lose your reward. But he says, if you build with gold, silver, and costly stones, so that is tried by the fire, and it's actually purified by the fire, you receive your your reward in full. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one that stands before Jesus on that day. and, And I hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. Here is your reward. I want to be like the sons of Zadok who were gathered around the throne and are worshipping and ministering to the Lord. I don't want to be like, like the house of Levi who are out there serving the people. Read Ezekiel. Chapters 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. You'll see what I'm talking about. That's another message. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The eye is really important. 
That's why when Jesus was talking about grace, he didn't just say, like, if you commit adultery. He said, if you look with lust in your eye, you are guilty of adultery. Do we understand that the, the bar under grace is higher? Because it is Christ in us and Christ through us. He can change us from the inside out so that we do not even look that way. It's not just a written like a tick box writing the law thing. It is like, I don't desire that. There is nothing in me that desires that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So, but the eye is important because whatever you lay your eyes upon and what you dwell upon, your heart will then be engaged in that. And whether that is a brand new car or whether that is someone of the opposite sex or whatever the case is, what, the eye is so important. So this is why Jesus is talking about that in the context of where your treasure is, or what, what, what you give of yourself to, your heart will be there also. Amen? Are we hearing the core message of this? That God wants our heart. He wants to be the, the, the focus. And anything else that's in the way, you know, um, you know, as I've said, houses and cars and possessions and healthy families, these things are not wrong, but we have to get the order right. Jesus has to be first and foremost. Because then everything else will come into order. Everything else will come in. Because it says in, uh, later on in Matthew 6, you know, it says to seek first the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. You see, when we put God first, everything comes into order. It may not always be the way that we want. And it may not be in the timing that we want. But when we put God first, everything will come into order because he's faithful to his word. Everything will come into order when we put God first. And, it's, you know, those bracelets that were, you know, used to do the rounds. I think I might have said this before. The what would Jesus do? The WWJD, like years ago, there used to be bracelets. There used to be T-shirts. There used to be hats. There's, there was all kinds of stuff with WWJD. You know, the essence of that is always a good question to ask. What would Jesus do in this moment? That is a good question to ask yourself before you respond or react. It is a good question to ask yourself when you're carrying some offense or bitterness or unforgiveness. It is a, it is, it is a good question to ask, what would Jesus do? And if you get into the Word enough, you'll know what Jesus would do in any given situation. Amen? You see, the enemy will always try to keep your heart cluttered. He will want to put clutter. And that's why it's good to move house every now and then. Speaking about change. We probably don't like change very much. But it's good. Or even the thought of it. Even the thought of, wow, I might be moving house. What do you do? You declutter. Don't you? Some people are probably really good at that. They do it regularly. Other people, they can have sheds full and whatever. But it's the same in our hearts, isn't it? It's the same in our hearts, that we can store up all this stuff, good or not so good, life or death, we can store up all this stuff. And sometimes we need a bit of a shaking to help us realize, man, I've got clutter in here. 
I've got people that I haven't forgiven that I need to forgive. I've got stuff that I've carried from for the last 20 years that I need to get rid of. I've got stuff that's here that Jesus is not really first, but I've got other things that are in front of him. The enemy will always try and have our hearts cluttered, and if he can't do that, he'll get us pursuing the wrong thing. We don't want to pursue the wrong thing. We want to pursue Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness. Amen? Because the enemy even knows this. When your heart belongs to him, to Jesus, he's in trouble. The enemy knows that when your heart is for the Lord, he's in trouble. He'll always go after your heart. That's why you have to guard your heart. On the day of Pentecost, I tell you, I'm praying into this moment. The Lord hasn't let me out of the Ananias and Sapphira story yet. I've been going in the Ananias and Sapphira story since the start of the year. It's like, we need to make sure our hearts are right. But I've been praying into this whole thing because when I read in Scripture that Peter was presenting the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, as he was preaching, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart or they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter then said, repent and be baptized each one of you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of, your, of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. But you know, the fact that he was preaching the gospel, and there was such a profound presence of God, and the Holy Spirit was cutting people to the heart, that, you know, that they were cut to the heart. And, you know, they didn't need 20 minutes for an altar call. They were cut to the heart, and they come running, and they say, what must we do to be saved? That's what I'm praying into. That's what I'm praying into, to see people just saved like that, to see people encounter Jesus just like that, to see people healed just like that, to see people delivered, the chains hit the ground just like that. That is the presence, that is the glory, that is the anointing of God where it should be. And God is looking for a people who would give their hearts to Him to go on that journey that we operate in that kind of anointing. That we operate in that kind of authority, that we operate in that kind of grace. But the key is that He needs our hearts, He needs everything that we are. Because there's been too much corruption in the church where heart hasn't been dealt with and people move powerfully in all kinds of signs and wonders, but their heart is not right and it's somewhere they fall. And the problem with that is that it always affects other people. If it was just you and God, maybe it wouldn't matter so much. Please take that the right way. But when you are ministering and people are looking, and you fall, it affects a whole bunch of others. He needs our heart. 
I think about that. They were cut to the heart. I'm nearly finished. They were, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit was, was, was so powerful that day. They were cut to the heart. They responded. They repented. They were baptized. 3,000 plus were added to the church that day. But you can tell that God had their heart because the next verse says, they devoted themselves. When you are devoted to something, your heart is there. Amen? You cannot be devoted if your heart is not there. It's not possible. So their heart was there, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, God had their heart. And the overflow of that was, I want to grow. The overflow of that is, I want to love. I want to be part of family. The overflow of that was that we remember Jesus every day. Not just once a week. It's so sad that some churches only, only participate in taking the bread and the wine once every three months. Every day we remember Jesus. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And as I've been saying of late, prayer is so needed. I would love to see the Church of Bundaberg down Bourbon Street on a Friday night in that bit outside of the hub between the Masonic Lodge <laughs> and Target praying and worshipping Jesus, and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. People have always asked me, Tim, can we move prayer from Friday night? And my answer has been no, because God has said no. You know why it was Friday night? Because it's probably the greatest sacrifice. Because Friday, by the end of Friday, sometimes you're tired. Someone's tired. It's true though, isn't it? But what would it be like? What would happen in Bundaberg? What would happen in our nation if Christians would gather in every town and in every city to pray? Because our weapon is not, um, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not. It's against principalities and powers, and the weapons of our warfare are mighty. And prayer is a major weapon. And God wants to mobilize the church in prayer. Not praying about my big toe. You can pray about my big toe. No, sorry, my big toe's fine. It's all good. But you know what I mean? So often our prayer life is just concerned with little bits here and this stiff. But you know what? What if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? What if we start praying big prayers? Whoa. On the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart, but their heart was the Lord's. And the overflow of it was family, generosity, community. As I've always said, that's why we don't, we don't have a, an offering message for 10 minutes every Sunday, because God just wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, you want to give. Putting an offering message before you every Sunday is like legalism. I'm sorry if that offends anybody. 
because we just focus on the money to pay the bills. No, no, no. I'm more interested that God wants your heart. Because if God has your heart, everything else will happen. You will want to give. You will want to serve. You will want to be a part of something if he has your heart. Is that okay? And I want to say this as I close this morning. Sometimes you do have to lead your heart. And what I mean by that is you have to make a conscious decision. It's actually scriptural. Do we know that? There's a lot of verses in scripture. Okay, I'll give you one verse. This is in Proverbs because the proverb of the day keeps the enemy away. In Proverbs 23, so this is, This is Solomon to his son. And remember that everything has a practical application, but it has a spiritual application as well. And he simply says this, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Twenty-three, twenty-six. My son, give me your heart. That is a decision. That is you making a choice. Give me your heart. Because what you give of yourself to, your heart is there. The Lord is calling his people back. When I was in prayer this week, music team, you can come forward if you want. Um, when I was in prayer this week, I heard multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. That's actually a verse out of Joel, the book of Joel. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And as I was praying, I said, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? And he said, there are many of my people, my people that are in the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes of my people are in the valley, uh, are in the valley of decision. That in the midst of everything that we've been going through, in the midst of all that is happening, there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And, it, and the, the decision is God saying, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. That's the decision. And he's saying that to us afresh today. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. I really believe we're on the cusp of some things. The Lord's just holding some things back because we just have to make sure we get the order right because it's not rules and regulations. It is our heart. Everything else will flow. Everything else will take place. I really believe that we're going to need that many home groups and more 
That's why I'm encouraging you today, not just for rules and a regulation thing to be part of a home group, but I'm encouraging you to get part of a home group because I think you, I think those home groups are going to have to multiply. And I think it's best if you get into one now so that then you can be part of the multiplication. And that will be another thing that you'll have to watch, that it doesn't become an idol. Because you know what happens with good home groups sometimes? You just want to hang out with those people all the time and you don't want to hang out with anyone else. Anyone ever had that? Okay. But you know what happens? What happens if that home group started to multiply with so many people that were coming to know Jesus? Would you give up that home group and, and separate into two to allow more growth? Would you do that? There's another heart test. Has this become an idol in my life? Or am I willing to give myself to Jesus? What would Jesus do? He wants our hearts. The story of Mary and Martha, as I finish today, the story of Mary and Martha was just kind of sitting there in the background. That Martha was so distracted in Luke chapter 10, that Martha was so distracted. Jesus was in her house. Can you imagine that? Jesus is in your house. And Martha was like, I've got I've to do this for Jesus. I've got to do this for Jesus. I've got to do this for Jesus. I've got to get this right. I've got to get that right. I've got to make sure the food's right. I've got to make sure everything's right. She was so distracted, and yet the very one who was giving her life was standing right in front of her. You see, we can be so busy sometimes doing things for Jesus that we can still miss Jesus himself. My simple message this morning from the Lord is He wants our heart. And for some of you sitting here today, there may be more areas in your heart that you need to give Him. For other people, there may just be this area. But I think for all of us, we need to hear Him speaking to us, saying, My son, my daughter, give me your heart. Amen. So, Father, we thank you that you are so good and you are so kind, that you are merciful, that you are loving, and you are just calling us and drawing us to yourself. You are calling us and you are drawing us to yourself. God, my prayer is that we would be a family who are known by, you know, that family, their hearts are for Jesus. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to shine your light on what needs to be shone in our hearts. God, that we would have soft hearts, pliable hearts, hearts of flesh. Lord, we give you our heart. We give you our heart. I think of that old Hillsong chorus. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way. Let's sing it again. 
Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for 